1: The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Well, once the primary ended in Ohio, we got a day of analyzing its results Probably took the rest of this week off, but you know politics is going to jump back to the top of the pages very, very soon. And when we talk politics and particularly assessing politics, one of the smartest guys that we do it with is Matt Mayer of Opportunity, Ohio. He joins us here at the top of the second hour, final hour of the week of the Bruce Woolley Show. Hello, Matt. How are you doing? And uh, any big surprises to you from the primary results on Tuesday?
2: uh yeah i mean i think there were a couple of surprises uh, let's talk about the governor's race first um well before we get there let's talk about the fact that there were essentially half the democrat turnout as there was the republican turnout that's, Yes, that's a fascinating drop uh that signals some pretty ugly uh results come november um, here in ohio at least i wonder though is
1: that part of the fact that there really wasn't a contested race i mean Nan Whaley was expected to beat John Cranley. She beat him like a drum. Uh, I don't know that anybody, a lot of Democrats like Mike DeWine, so I don't know that a governor primary really energized Democrats. The Senate primary clearly energized Republicans. So could we be overestimating the twice as high turnout on the Republican side, given that we had... And there was a lot of passion against Mike DeWine, by the way, as I'm sure we'll talk about. But the Republican races just seem to have a little bit more energy, a little bit more intrigue. So maybe are we overvaluing the voter turnout Republican to Democrat, or do you think not?
2: Well, I, I look, even if we're overvaluing it by half, that's still a couple hundred thousand vote difference uh, going into November, right? So, yep. so I, and there were two contested races, right? The Senate race was contested, you know, by progressives against Tim Ryan. Uh, who is a progressive anyway. And then, you know, there was the contested governor race, two mayors of, of two big cities here in Ohio. So, you know, it was contested enough that you would have expected a bit higher turnout than, than what they got. So I, I I still think even if you discount for the lack of energy because they didn't have quite the big race we did in terms of the U.S. Senate on the Republican side, it's still, you know, okay, bump them up to, to 750,000. There's still quarter of a million votes below what the Republican turnout was, right?
1: Yep, yep. Yep. So I I mean, obviously, it's a red state. It's trending more red. And I don't think that's good news for Democratic candidates, particularly given the Biden economy. Uh, he's coming to Ohio today. He will give half-truths. He will talk about his jobs report being better. He won't talk about the fact that real wages are down. What poss- If you were a Democratic strategist, what message would you possibly give Nan Whaley or Tim Ryan entering the general in the fall?
2: To uh, localize the race as much as possible uh, against Mike DeWine, um, if you're Man Whaley. Uh, talk about the, the COVID response. The ranking Ohio got is, is one of the lowest in the country in terms of the COVID response. Talk about uh, the, the, the weakness of the jobs uh, in terms of our ranking in, in terms of recovering jobs after the pandemic. We're ranked 36th in the country, so one of the weakest jobs recovery that we've had uh, that that's where if I were Nan Whaley, I would focus on kind of the Ohio issues and, and stay as far away from Joe Biden in the Biden agenda as possible. She won't, uh, she can't help herself. She's a progressive, but, uh, but that's what I would do. Um, and look, you know, because there's, there, you know, the fact that Mike DeWine and John, he said only got forty eight percent as incumbents going for reelection is pretty damning. I mean, you, you know, and, and if you dig even a little bit deeper in there, you know, Joe Blystone won 22 counties, yep. four of those he won with over 50 percent of the vote. In uh, Mike DeWine, you know, for, for his own, he only hit 50 percent in 20 counties uh, across, the, across the state. So 20 out of 88 uh, is not a good mark if you're an incumbent Republican going for re-election. He'll win re-election, don't get me wrong, but if you know if John Houston thought he'd be the presumptive nominee in 2026 20, uh, based upon their record, he's got, got a rude awakening coming up uh, uh, in about four years.
1: I think you're absolutely right. Matt Mayer is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at @OhioMatt. His uh, he is the president of Opportunity Ohio. You can find them online at opportunityohio.org. All right, we know Tim Ryan's going to play the. Uh, you know, I'm the I'm the every man. I'm in it for the working man. He was on Brett Bear the other night and really did not answer a single question that Brett Bear asked him. He just uh, pontificated about whatever he wants to talk to uh, talk about. But here I thought was an interesting uh, part of the interview, and I want you to listen to Tim Ryan taking credit for Intel coming to Ohio.
2: I have a long record uh, of fighting for working people, uh, bringing resources back here, passing a bipartisan infrastructure bill, uh, working to bring a high-chip manufacturing company like Intel uh, to Ohio. I'm about making Ohio – The world's manufacturing powerhouse and i've got a long record on that
1: how have we done in manufacturing jobs during his 20 years in congress
2: uh let's talk about more importantly how has his congressional district done in manufacturing (laughs) jobs since he's been (laughs) in office it's done pretty badly yeah and and the idea that tim tim ryan sitting up there in youngstown you know uh, canton akron all that area is responsible for a company coming to new albany essentially is, is a bit of a stretch. And look, I hope the Intel thing works out, uh, but but that's got a lot of time still to develop. So 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 you know everyone's going to try to hitch their horses to that wagon, and and uh, boy, they better hope they better hope it results in some some major wins coming here in the next few years. But you know, the, the the one thing Tim Ryan did say at uh, Brett bear, which was shocking to me, is that he believes that you should be able to abort a baby yep. in the 38th week, the 39th week. Uh, that the woman should be able to abort her baby, that literally, if that baby comes out, can is is beyond viable. And so, I'm just stunned that he would take such a radical position, because a clear majority of Ohioans and Americans believe that when you hit about 20 weeks, uh, in, in some even shorter, really, the the baby's life overrides uh, the woman's right to to, her, to choose. Simply because we all recognize that that's human life in there, uh, and then you got to protect it. And for Tim Ryan to, to, to take it all the way to the 40th week is just stunning to me.
1: Yeah, it's stunning to me, too. But in some respects, and our guest is Matt Mayer, OpportunityOhio.org. He's the president of that organization. You can follow Matt on Twitter, at OhioMatt. In some respects, I made this comment about Donald Trump and Jim Renacci. You know, up at the Trump rally, Renacy is sitting off to the right-hand side of the stage, and Trump is shouting out Max Miller and Madison Gilbert, and he brings J.D. Vance up on stage, and he looks right past Renacy, he won't say anything about Renacy, who ran for Senate because Donald Trump asked him to hold the bag of crap that was Josh Mandel bugging out in the in the middle of the campaign, and... I said René is in the worst possible position. He needs Trump as a friend, and he can't afford him as an enemy. In the same way, Tim Ryan needs the whacked-out, bloodthirsty, abortion-on-demand people as friends, and he can't afford them as an enemy. And if he puts any limits on abortion, if any Democrat puts any limits on abortion, they have the pro-abortion lobby as an
2: enemy. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. But but boy, you just got to realize at some point, right? What what matters is winning an election. If and so to, to take a position that a majority of, of your constituents don't support, it uh, and it's frankly very very radical. Not just in America, but all over the you know democracies across the world. Like it's just a it's just a bad position to take. And I don't care who he was trying to appease. Right, and, and, you know, when you think about you know, Jim Renacci and, and Donald Trump, I mean, the fact of the matter is uh, Trump did not endorse, endorse Renacci. Um, I think he, he knew that, that, that Jim wasn't going to win. So, you know, why, why, uh, why get behind a guy that didn't have enough oomph to get there six, you know, four years ago against Sher Brown, let alone uh, against, you know, Mike DeWine? And, and uh, even though Mike's not popular among Republicans, Trump knows he's got a $100 million fortune he could have thrown at the race. So he could have just overwhelmed anything Jim could have tried to do, right?
1: Yep, no doubt about it. Matt Mayer is our guest, OpportunityOhio.org. Opportunity Ohio, lots of great information about the Ohio economy, the stagnation in the economy, and Matt has a lot of great ideas on how they can get all of that going. So i got about 30 seconds left. If you had to look into your crystal ball, who will run against Sherrod Brown in 2024? Will it be Matt Dolan? Will it be Frank LaRose? Would it be Bernie Moreno? Uh, Do you see anybody else uh, that might be running against Sherrod Brown?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a good chance that Matt Dolan will run. I think there's a okay chance Frank LaRose will run. Frank's got to figure out what he wants to do next, um, and and I think you know Vivek Ramaswamy may win. Who wrote woke, woke ink? I, yeah, I think there's rumors he may may run. That'd be great. Round. That'd be great. Yeah. So so you know, I think he's got ambitions. Uh, so so there's you know a couple of folks that that that, that may run, and we'll see if if them step up. But it should be interesting. Sherrod Brown's tough to beat. Uh, never underestimate the guy, but he is beatable.
1: He is. I agree. Matt, I got to run. Hard break now that we're on in uh, 94 5 in Dayton, but I really appreciate your time as always. Follow Matt on Twitter at OhioMatt. Go to his website, opportunityohio.org. Thanks for your time today, Matt. I uh, really, really appreciate hey, you coming for on. Me. You bet. There you go. Matt Mayer joining us. And again, um, I think he's right. I think Sherrod Brown is beatable. It is his good fortune for years and years and years and years to just luck of the draw-wise come up at a time when Democrats were at least a 50-50 bet in the state of Ohio or when Barack Obama was in office. Uh, That will not be the case next time. The Biden-Harris presidency will be on the ballot. Uh, Don't know if Trump will be on the ballot, but uh, Sherrod Brown will have a tough, tough fight in 2024. So you're going to see a new face soon at the podium in the White House Press Office. It will be the face of Corrine Saint Pierre. Uh, no more Jen Psaki. She's headed to MSNBC. And uh, Jen Psaki just uh, tweeted about her successor, and I am I am uh, I am frankly um, aghast at the uh, racist, homophobic. Um, Mindset of Jen Psaki. Uh, here's the tweet. She, Corinne Saint-Pierre, will be the first black woman and first openly LGBTQ plus person to serve as the White House press secretary. Representation matters and she will give a voice to many, but also make many dream big about what is truly possible. Wow, there's so much in that tweet. Uh, let's get to the latter part first, shall we? Uh, she will make many dream big about what is truly possible. Well, I thought that in this country, uh, at least according to critical race theory, uh, if you're black or LGBTQ+, plus, you are uh, forever oppressed and you have no chance to achieve anything in such a country as ours. Good to know that Jen Psaki now sees belatedly the merits of Any American citizen, if you're talented enough, work hard enough, maybe get a few breaks, uh, you can rise to the heights. Uh, Let's go to the beginning. She will be the first black woman and first openly LGBTQ plus person to serve as White House press secretary. Okay, take your word on that. Uh, Representation matters. What kind of representation? So it it really matters. Jen Saki saying this. I'm not saying it. She's saying it. Representation matters. Okay. Well, if representation matters, that's your contention. Then why didn't you get out of the way and let her do it sooner? I mean, is it your desire, Jen Saki, for 15 months? to stifle the inspiring voice and story of Corinne St. Pierre. I mean, think of how many black LGBTQ plus kids across the country would have been inspired over the past 15 months by seeing her at the podium on a daily basis if the fact that she's representing as a black woman, I mean, I assume she's a woman, and an LGBTQ plus person... If that representation matters, which is what you say, then why didn't you get out of the way? You could have, you could have, she handled, you were gone like the three, four, five times you had COVID after getting vaccinated and boosted. She did a fine job. In fact, she really does a better job than you because she's not condescending or she doesn't have the job yet. So I'm sure she'll get there. But uh, that's really interesting that representation matters. But, you know, Would that mean that since you didn't get out of her way that you have something against or you enjoy engaging in the repression of black LGBTQ plus women? I'm, I'm left with no other takeaway than that. If you had the opportunity to get out of Corinne St. Pierre's way and let her represent, as you say, and give a voice to many, and make many dreams big about what is truly possible, then why didn't you vacate the premises a long time ago? Wouldn't that have been better for our country? It would have been better for my blood pressure, I know that. Now, Joe Biden is coming to Hamilton with an exclamation point today. And he is going to tout a jobs report that came in 28,000 above expectations. He will not tout an unemployment report which came in at uh, above expectations, he will not tout that real wage growth is below the inflation rate. What does it mean that the Federal Reserve raised interest rates by a half a point on Wednesday? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? You don't care what it means to big banks. What does it mean to you? Well, it means that you're going to be paying more. (laughs) Yes, I know. Sadly, there is no way to cure inflation but to uh, force people to spend money less. And so, home interest rates already have jumped two percentage points since the beginning of the year. They are above 5%. Now, I my first mortgage was double that, 10%. 1987, my interest rate was 10%, and that was below market. I did a, a FISBO, as they say in the real estate game, a for sale by owner. And the owner carried the mortgage at 10% fixed. And that was below market. 1987. Now rates are at 5%, but we've gotten used to rates in the twos and threes. And so it seems really high. And I understand why it seems high. Because the cost of homes in the past year have gone up an average of 55%. I spoke to a friend of mine last night who is moving out of the area and so he's putting his home up for sale, and you know he's moving and relocating in June, and his home is not for sale on the market yet. Now, he lives in a very uh, desirable neighborhood. He has a very beautiful home, but it's a measure of how difficult it is to buy a home that he said, you know, we'll put it on the market. The thought is with the realtor, we'll put it on the market on a Friday. It'll be in contract by Monday morning. <laughs> And the expectation is it will be sold 25 30% over asking. So house prices are super, super high. What does that mean if interest rates on home loans are 2% higher than they were a year ago? It means for a median-priced home, it's an average home, starter home essentially, your house payment will be three to four hundred dollars more per month. Now, who buys a median priced home? Working family. Two factory workers, maybe one teacher, one stay at home parent. Three to four hundred dollars per month higher because of the rise in interest rates. And they got to raise the interest rates or inflation will just go nuts. Well, I don't need to buy a house, Bruce. What if I need to buy a car? This number blows my mind. The average car buyer, according to USA Today, finances $37,000 to buy a car. And the interest rates on that kind of a loan are higher. Now, if you carry a credit card balance, which I do not, but some people do, if you have a $5,000 credit card balance, a half-point increase in interest rates, will add $200 in total interest for borrowers who make the minimum monthly payment. Uh, that would add $800 until the balance is paid off. So all of us who are in that massive middle, we're going to get pinched by the Biden problematic economy and by the necessary fixes of the Federal Reserve. There is no way. This is like an economic root canal without novocaine. Inflation is bad. Gas is over $4 a gallon again. So we all cry out for it to be fixed. And the fix (laughs) feels as painful, if not more painful, than the problem. So, Stay angry, hold them accountable in November, vote them out of office, tie his hands so he can't do any more damage.
0: Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.